News Network. If a coyote crosses the border and no one is there to see it, does it make drop? You know, there are those in Washington who will tell you no. And as planes land all over the country loaded with illegals, who dares to call out the truth? I'll tell you who. Dan Newman on TNN, the Truth News Network. And with today's lesson, here's Dan. Well, here we are. We made the middle of August, the Ides of August, August 15th. Hey, hello everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I know you moms, kids are off to school. They're back and you're breathing a little easier, at least for five or ten minutes. Congratulations, you made this summer. And now it's school time. Well, how about the rest of you? How about the rest of us? What do we have on our plates today? Let me just tell you this. Here at TNN Live, we have some very serious things to talk to you about this morning. And I'm not going to get into the middle of it all until we we allow as many people as possible to get signed on. It's Monday morning. Everybody's got back-to-work stuff going on, and so it'll take a couple of minutes for them to join us. And while we're doing that, let's just look at the big spot on earth where we can test how bad it is on the streets. Chicago, of course. Well, it was just another normal weekend in Chicago. At least 44 people were shot, eight of those fatally across the city. A 14-year-old boy was critically wounded in a drive-by on Sunday night last night in Hyde Park. About 8.38 p.m., he was standing outside in the 9400 block of South University Avenue in Chicago, 8.38 in the evening on the weekend. Somebody in a vehicle driving by fired gunshots, and he was hit. He was shot in the groin, transported to Comer Children's Hospital. He's in critical condition. We could give you the exact details of about all of these 44 people in Chicago that were shot. Eight of them died, but we're not going to do that. You know why? Because the same thing will happen this weekend and next weekend, unless and until law enforcement people led by the mayor of Chicago, unless and until they get their stuff together and get it in gear, this is going to happen every weekend in Chicago. And I'll be honest with you, I've been expecting it to start ramping up as we got towards the school year. And we may see it, but 44 people shot on the weekend. Eight of those 44 died. Just another weekend in Chicago. Just moments ago, a tidbit of news popped up that I thought I would bring to you before we get into the meat of what I want to talk to you about. CIA Director William Burns, you remember that name? It came to light overnight. He formally headed an influential D.C. think tank while it employed, listen to this, undisclosed Chinese Communist Party members as well as other individuals with Chinese government ties. Well, while he was president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which is a really big think tank, very important, he was there from February of 2015 to November of last year. While he was there, the think tank employed at least 20 policy experts whom 
they have identified as communist Chinese party members. These CCP members worked at both Carnegie's Washington, D.C. headquarters and Carnegie Xinhua, the Beijing center where Burns' predecessor, Jessica Matthews, launched in 2010 in cooperation with Xinhua University. Yet, expert profiles on Carnegie's website, a website they don't disclose these individuals' ties to the Chinese Communist Party. This was only discovered, those communist ties, after analyzing hundreds of Chinese-language Communist Party branch records and personnel profiles from more than a dozen other CCP-linked organizations. Now, what does this mean? A CIA director working directly with employees of the Chinese Communist Party? Now, why would these Chinese Communist Party members want to be part of something like the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Do you think it might have a little bit to finding out some of the inner workings of our government here in the United States? And oh, by the way, hey, if you go there, you get to work with CIA Director William Burns. Do you think William Burns didn't realize these were Chinese Communist Party people serving with him? Speculation on my part, is that, yep, he knew. And he probably justify allowing it to happen by thinking maybe he could get some inside information from them for the United States government. We'll probably never know. In fact, I'm almost certain we'll never know. You know why? The Biden administration doesn't give a rip. They don't care about communist Chinese ties. After all, Xi Jinping and Joe They're big buddies. Yeah, remember they got together? Joe flew over on Air Force Two a couple of times to meet with Xi Jinping. And on one of those trips, he took his buddy, his son, best friend on earth, smartest man he's ever known. That's what Joe Biden says about Hunter. And I'll tell you how smart Hunter was. He did fly on Air Force Two, and while he was there, He got to meet with a bunch of Chinese tycoons and they created this investment firm headed by Hunter Biden and those tycoons, they're really not tycoons on their own. They're tycoons because Xi Jinping lets them be tycoons. They invested one and a half billion dollars in that investment fund, private equity firm that Hunter Biden was involved in when Hunter Biden had not a single minute of private equity firm experience. 1.5 billion bucks. That's hard to fathom. Well, listen, I wanted to wait a few minutes to let a bunch of you get online and join us here before we went into what I consider the most important topic of the day. We're going to get into some of the Mar-a-Lago raid fallout in just a few minutes. But I want to talk about something that uh, really struck home over the weekend to me. I grew up in Louisiana, South Louisiana, be specific. And down South Louisiana, we had very large elementary and junior high schools, some places called those middle schools. My junior high school, just for 7th and 8th grade, had 1,500 students. 
classes were, as you expect, pretty big. But there was one mandatory class that every Louisiana school student was required by law to take and to pass before going to high school, a civics class. Civics was the class in which teachers broke down what our government, the local, the state, and the federal, was founded to be. Various laws at all three levels and the tenets of the United States Constitution. By the way, civics in Louisiana, I don't know how it is around the nation. It's gone. It's history. They don't even teach it anymore. The section in my class, my civics class, covering the Constitution, it it started with a brief history of how our founders decided to use what today is considered to be the best Constitution of any country on earth. All of the reasons for why it was considered to be so are established on the rule of law. The rule of law. That phrase was a great start. But the start of our government was just the beginning. Crafting a representative republic comprised of those who represented each state and a separate group that directly represented citizens of each state took some time. And that time and those discussions caused some intense debate, arguments, and even one gunfight. But crafting those laws enshrined in the Constitution was the genius of this nation's longevity and success. Rule of law is the process enshrined in law that is the backbone of our nation's structure and the element without which would destroy our nation from top to bottom. So let's fast forward to 2008. Barack Obama was elected president with Joe Biden as his vice president. Shortly into that first term, the president informed his attorney general, Eric Holder, to immediately cease arresting and or prosecuting people in the nation for simple possession of marijuana. And that created quite a stir. You see, each of the 50 states at that time had laws making possession of marijuana illegal. Now think about that what that caused, the chaos that caused. The President of the United States says, and everybody heard him, hey, no longer is possession of marijuana illegal by federal law. We don't care what the states out there say. We say it's not against federal law anymore. Well, here's the conundrum with that. No president has the right to determine a law that's passed by the people's representative Of course, this is according to the Constitution, and Barack Obama, he was considered to be, in fact, I heard him say it several times himself, so it had to be true that he is a constitutional expert. So what he did, think this through for a second, when he told his attorney general, we're not going to prosecute any possession of marijuana. What he said was, screw the rule of law. Screw the Constitution that says there are three separate branches of government and the only one that makes laws is the legislative section of our government 
And the president is supposed to enforce the laws the legislature makes. Barack Obama instead, in this case, decided to tear one law up on his own. So what about that rule of law thing today? Well, simply put, in my opinion, it's no longer applicable. I know violence is destroying our towns and our cities across the nation. Hundreds of thousands of lawbreakers are accosted and held accountable for their acts each month. And of course, most of those are in various states, but when it comes to lawbreakers of federal crimes, it seems to me that politics has replaced laws and has replaced the Constitution. To be completely honest, the rule of law is toast at the federal level. As egregious as it is for so much crime to occur every day, Friday night, we just told you, 44 people shot in Chicago from Friday night to Sunday morning. 44 shot and 12 died. Most Americans, when hearing these horrendous numbers, just yawn. Why would that be? Well, that's just a normal night and weekend in Chi-Town, isn't it? I won't bore you with national crime statistics today. If you're really interested in those numbers, I put a few links on the story on the homepage of Truth News Network that's titled, Someone's Got to Speak Up, Call Out Law Enforcement for Not Enforcing Laws. I'm doing that today. That's the story title. We got several links to give you some national crime statistics to look at and think about. And if you want to dig, just use this site from the FBI that's included in those links, and um, you can get the skinny. I also won't bore you with pontifications on my part about who is at fault for the horrendous and growing crime across the nation. The blame game for that is everywhere. Rampant crime is blamed on moms and dads and neighbors on YouTube, on Facebook, on children's friends, video games, movies, and even television and online commercials. It's time for someone to stop pointing fingers, to analyze the problems, and give Americans some realistic and truthful answers and solutions. We're here, and we're doing just that right now. Are you ready? Problem cause and problem resolution. I learned the cause and resolution for wrongdoing long before I even got in first grade. It was simple. Mom and Dad made the laws. My older brother and I were held to keep them. When we broke those laws, we were held accountable for doing so, and we knew the ramifications of our wrongdoing long before we did it. Sometimes, Mom was soft on us when we did something wrong. Dad didn't think that way. But even when Mom softened the penalty, she made certain we paid in some fashion for everything we did wrong. Fast forward to 2022. Parents don't hold their children accountable for their wrongdoing. 
Young people in the community and other groups don't hold their friends accountable for violating commitments they have with each other. Law enforcement agencies, in large part, not only don't hold people in jail for their crimes anymore, but district attorneys have also deleted bail and often reduced penalties for violating crimes in a dramatic fashion. And that happens when local and state lawmakers, those who craft those laws, mayors and governors, they each take oaths of office declaring they will see to it that all laws at the state and local levels are going to be enforced from top to bottom. State lawmakers and enforcement officials are often guilty in the same ways, letting certain lawbreakers either get a free ride on the penalty the law details or getting charges dismissed for personal reasons. The federal law enforcement process, you know that rule of law thing, and almost it's almost completely vanished. So let's for a moment take a quick look. U.S. federal law enforcement. In a sentence, federal law enforcement has all but disappeared. Now don't get me wrong. Federal laws are still enforced, but rarely enforced uniformly and rarely without bias or partisanship. That's what the rule of law was created to do, to make equal justice under the law for everybody. As the Constitution declared would rule our nation, it's not in force and not used in law enforcement, but with rare exception today. When politics and politicians become so dominant in the world, those in power discovered that power could be received from the people if those in government would agree to pass special legislation for particular causes, for groups and individuals in a quid pro quo fashion. You make a campaign contribution to me, I'll give you inside information, or I'll introduce you to someone you want to pitch a business deal to, and it goes on and on and on, or I'll push hard for a special piece of legislation that your major corporation desperately wants to be passed in exchange for contributions, nice junket trips, all expenses paid, of course, or I'll find a soft job as a legislative intern for your kids. Nothing comes free for either side. Unfortunately, that process was birthed and perfected in Washington, D.C., flowed downstream to state governments, then local governments. It's dug deeper, grown wider, grown more powerful each and every year. And it is everywhere in Washington. So how do you think that impacts law enforcement? Laws, they're complete as written, as passed and signed into law. Aren't those supposed to be enforced with each of the terms and conditions being absolute? There's seldom a need for interpretation. That is correct. But political partisanship, quid pro quo, social engineering, etc., have grown exponentially through the years. 
They've overtaken every sector of government. It's no longer in existence as just one level of government. True, it permeates D.C. in our legislative process, but it too burns into state and local government from top to bottom. Let's look at just a couple of cases. Federal political pandering, part A, our southern border. Oh my gosh, here we go. I'll just state the obvious. Our federal government, this administration, the Biden administration, refuses to enforce federal immigration laws. Written, signed into law to direct immigration, hold those who break immigration laws accountable. Sounds simple enough, right? No one is being held accountable for coming to this country illegally. Nobody. We hear the excuses every day from all those involved in Border Patrol and ICE, local law enforcement agencies along the border who bear the brunt of this lawlessness. What does federal law say about this? Let's just get, just for a second, a federal law lesson. 8 U.S. Code 1325. It's titled Improper Entry by alien. Section A, improper time or place, avoidance of examination or inspection, misrepresentation, and concealment of facts. Here we go. This is the law. Any alien who, one, enters or attempts to enter the United States at any time or place other than as designated by immigration officers, or two, eludes examination or inspection by immigration officers, or three, attempts to enter or obtains entry to the United States by a willfully false or misleading representation or the willful concealment of a material fact shall, for the first commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned not more than six months or both and for a subsequent commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18 or imprisoned no more than two years or both. This is the law. You got that? This that I just read, 8 U.S. Code Title 1325, Improper Entry by Alien. That is federal law, Who put that law together? Well, I'll tell you who put it together. Our current president was part of the committee in the U.S. Senate that weighed in on the verbiage in this law that was still a bill. They passed it out of the Senate Judiciary Committee. The full Senate took it on, passed it, sent it to the president who signed it into law. The law you just heard is very specific, don't you agree? Any alien, period. Of course you know that federal immigration laws abound. They've been streamlined, and they've streamlined the immigration process throughout the years, allowing more immigrants to come to the U.S. legally than do all of the other countries on earth combined. How many is that? It's about one million, million annually. 
Think about that. Any alien who shows up illegally should be and must be held accountable according to this law. But this law is not being implemented and used to do that. What about the people in our government who make the millions of illegals entry into U.S. each year possible? Aren't they somehow legally responsible for their actions? Letting all these illegals get across the border? Simple answer is yes. How so? 8 U.S. Code 1324, bringing in and harboring certain aliens. Criminal penalties. A. Any person who... 1. Knowing that a person is an alien, brings to or attempts to bring to the United States in any matter whatsoever such person at a place other than a designated port of entry or place other than as designated by the commissioner, regardless of whether such alien has received prior official authorization to come to, enter, or reside in the United States, and regardless of any future official action which may be taken with respect to such alien, Section 2, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come to, entered, or remains in the United States in violation of law, transports, or moves, or attempts to transport or move such alien within the United States by means of transportation or otherwise in furtherance of such violation of law, Section 3, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come to, entered, or remains in the United States in violation of law, conceals, harbors, or shields from detection, or attempts to conceal, harbor, or shield from detection such alien in any place, including any building or any means of transportation, Section 4, encourages or induces an alien to come to, enter, or reside in the United States, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that such coming to, entry, or residence is or will be in violation of law, is guilty of federal crimes, punishable punishable by fines and jail time. It's pretty plain to see that all illegal immigration at our southern border or even our northern border or through the oceans coming here is illegal with specific penalties spelled out in the laws detailed above. It's incumbent on the executive branch leaders in Washington to make certain that is done, and they do not do that. And we're going to detail a bit of that. In our summary, federal political pandering, part B, uptick of federal and state law violations across the board. There's no need to mention states or cities or municipalities that see their names in headlines every day about the rapid rise in violent crimes there each week. We've always had crime, but we've always had local, state, and federal enforcement officials in place that followed the law and held those criminal offenders responsible for broken laws on their part. The punishment for each of those crimes is written into local, state, and federal laws. 
But here comes the politics again. And for many of the same reasons listed above, broken laws are simply not enforced. And if they're enforced, the penalties are usually watered down to levels that look nothing remotely similar to what the statutes detail that they are to be. What the heck must be done to stop all this? The answer is simple. Enforce all the laws at every level. That's the only answer, that's the only process that will stop all of these illegal actions being taken place and instigated by these criminals. They're not criminals until they choose to break laws, but when they break laws, by definition, they are criminals. We discussed excuses for not enforcing these immigration laws in everyday local, state, and federal criminal crimes. There's no need to go back there. But what I promised in the story title in the first paragraph needs to be discussed, so here we go. At the federal level, who makes laws? Simple answer, Congress. Who enforces those laws? Simple answer, the executive branch. Who runs that branch and is responsible that everyone within that branch does what the law demands they do? Simple answer, the President of the United States. The President names an Attorney General who runs the Department of Justice and solely bears the responsibility for enforcing federal laws. The FBI director, appointed by a president, conducts investigation operations to get all the evidence and details of each of these alleged crimes, gives that to the attorney general, who then appoints attorneys that work for him to verify evidence given by the FBI, then files charges in the applicable courts against these offenders. Trials are held in which those charged are given the opportunity to defend themselves for those crimes for which they're being charged. Judges and juries make the determination of the offender's guilt or innocent. Applicable sentences, which are included in each law, are then enforced by the judges in every case. It's important to understand that this process works for the entire U.S. justice system from top to bottom federal, state, and local. Laws vary from state to state, we know that, but the process is exactly the same. It's that rule of law thing again, you know. It's the United States Constitution. I don't think anybody with a fair mind would say our justice system has not collapsed in the United States. It definitely has, top to bottom. Who is responsible for this? Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are directly part of the system. But the system was built on the Constitution, which sets federal law, then rolls down to the states and then local governments. But the process is the same. But the process is not structured the same today. And there lies the problem. The two major problems we have covered today only touch on illegal immigration and mass criminal violence. Both are serious. 
and both impact every one of the 330 million Americans? The answer is not difficult and should come from the top. Presidential law enforcement of the Constitution. All agencies below the White House look directly to the actions of those who work above them to see how to operate. And when those in the White House and in the presidential administration all refuse to hold lawbreakers accountable for breaking laws, what do you think happens? Two words, lawlessness and anarchy. It's happening before your eyes today. There are just two spots in our government from top to bottom that if those who hold those positions would demand from all who work for them to enforce every law and every part of every law, our criminal justice problem would be conquered in just days. Remember when I told you how my mom and dad enforced laws at our house? They held my brother and me accountable every single time we did something wrong. So did my brother and me continue to break those laws? Of course not. What stopped us from breaking those laws? We didn't want to pay the price for breaking the rules. Uh Uh-oh, here comes finger pointing. The United States president bears the sole responsibility for the enforcement or the lack of enforcement of all provisions in the U.S. Constitution and the legislation passed by the U.S. Congress. There is no provision in the laws that allows not doing so in every case of lawbreaking. It's true that many presidents ignore those laws and many of those who break them. We're seeing that play out today as never before in our history. That is the unified reason for our flood of criminals into the nation across our southern border and is the seed of the rampant rage of violent crimes across our nation. Now, we're almost through with this. I'm not going to talk about the issues at the state and local levels. The people of each state must decide if they'll take action to stop this in their states, their counties, their parishes and towns. But at the federal level, I will state what might happen before this lawlessness at our southern border and rampant violent crime in the nation, across the nation, stops. One, the U.S. president must be removed from his office for his daily refusal to demand federal employees who answer to him to enforce federal immigration laws. According to the U.S. statute listed above, doing so, his doing so, is a criminal act in each instance. And the only way to remove a president from office is through impeachment by the House and then removal through a U.S. Senate trial. Now, I'm not stupid. I know that this Congress will not impeach Joe Biden. This House of Representatives under Nancy Pelosi will not, they will not come up with impeachment issues and pass an impeachment process to send over to the Senate. And even if they do, a Mitch McConnell Senate where 
the breakdown is 50-50 Republican and Democrat and all ties are cast by a vote of a vice president, Kamala Harris, who's a Democrat. I get all that. But if the midterm elections turn out as many feel, and I'm confident it will happen this way, Republicans will win back the House of Representatives, and there's a good shot they'll win control in the Senate. If that happens, this, what I just laid out, needs to happen. The person who works in this administration that takes direct orders in managing our immigration process, who is that? Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. Mayorkas, no one questions this. He's an activist, which means he aggressively promotes his political ideologies even over federal laws that he swore he swore an oath to uphold. Secretary Mayorkas has continually refused to hold millions of illegals accountable for their illegal entry into the U.S., and in many cases, other crimes committed on his watch. It is unconscionable for his employment to continue to be continued. He must be removed from office immediately. In his particular case, because he was appointed by the president, confirmed by Congress, he could be impeached and removed in the same fashion as this president. But that process, in my opinion, it takes too long. Mayorkas should immediately be fired by President Biden and then charged criminally for his criminal actions as Homeland Security Secretary. So, hey, you got my two cents on our current biggest problems. Well, maybe after inflation. Because of this, it is critical that the GOP take control of the House and Senate in the midterms and then take this action. Can this be achieved? Pray, pray. And talk to everyone you know about this. Remember our mantra at Truth News Network. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you want changes in our lawlessness, change the process of enforcing the laws against those who break the laws. We will not see different results unless and until we change the things that cause these results to happen. Folks, it's not brain surgery. It's not difficult. It's simple. It's written. It's right before our faces. Read it. Learn it. And make your law enforcement officials at every level of government enforce the rule of law. It's that simple. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Gonna do the same look. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just gonna be that much more of a fun truck. Oh, 
Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman. TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. When you talk about the truth in law enforcement especially, you've got to talk about it regarding one thing and one thing only. What the law says is the way the law should be enforced every time. We were told from the beginning And it was this way from the beginning of this nation being a nation. The structure of the rule of law is absolute. And it won't change unless the people's representatives decide to change it or delete laws, throw them away and replace them with other laws. That's the thing that separates the United States from all of these other nations that do exactly what's happening here right now. And those other nations in large part are called banana republics, which references a lot of the governments down in the Caribbean islands. Every one of them are different and they've got these people that take control and they just are destroyed by illegality and pandering and graft and corruption. Is that the nation you want to live in? Is that the one you want for your kids and your grandkids? I know it's not. If we don't speak up, If we, the people, don't speak up and force those in charge over us in legislative positions to enforce those laws, it won't change. And we'll continue to slide down this road towards totalitarian, maybe not totalitarian, but at least authoritarian rule. And that's what a lot of people in power in this nation today want to see happen. And they're pushing for it. So we got a lot of other things to cover today. Let's just move away from this. Did you see by chance Fox News Channel's Sunday Night in America? Former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe was on the show, and he criticized the obvious double standard that is now being applied to Democrats and Republicans when it comes to legal investigations. Now, of course, this is on the backside of the investigation, the raid on the Mar-a-Lago residence of former President Trump on Monday. Ratcliffe argued that given the double standard that we see, the takeaway is the Department of Justice and the FBI were the enforcement arm 
of the Democrat Party. Now, he explained it. Here's what he said. I'm going to quote John Ratcliffe. I have to imagine you and Jimmy and I were among millions of Americans that were choking back disbelief when Attorney General Merrick Garland was talking about how the Department of Justice and the FBI were committed to the even-handed application of the law to everyone, including Donald Trump, when the FBI and the Department of Justice so clearly don't have clean hands in this matter, he said. You mentioned Jim Comey. You have an FBI director who has admitted that Donald Trump was treated differently under the law than Barack Obama and Democrats. Remember, you had an FBI director in Jim Comey. And you talk about disparity of treatment wrote an exoneration memo two months before he interviewed Hillary Clinton, knowing that Hillary had dozens of classified, sensitive, compartmented information in her possession before other witnesses were interviewed, and wrote a memo, James Comey did, clearing her. That very same FBI director, Jim Comey, on his book tour, admitted that I did things to Donald Trump that I never did to Barack Obama or would have tried. Comey's talking about himself when he says I. So think about that. An FBI director who is admitting he applied the law unevenly, he applied his authority unevenly because it was Donald Trump and it was Republicans. And to that point, the FBI director, having cleared Clinton before he ever talked to her, opened an investigation into Donald Trump's afternoon after he learned that the Russia collusion allegations were actually created by Hillary and then went so far as to lie on the FISA court application and verify a dossier he knew to be fake to continue the spying on the Trump campaign. So the American people, unfortunately, see that when it comes to Republicans, when it comes particularly to Donald Trump, that the past six years we have an FBI and a Department of Justice that have literally become the enforcement arm of the Democrat Party. So we, we started this show on a pretty serious note today. And I got to be honest with you. I, uh, I like to come in with the light atmosphere to begin the week because I know once you get to work, whether you're working away from your home in an office or moms, you're working at home in a big office that has a lot of moving parts and especially after a weekend of kids being in the house, what, whichever way you're going there, you like to come in and just kind of relax a little bit on Monday morning. Unfortunately, today, we don't have that option. It's serious, folks. And I think we need to get right to it. There are so many moving parts in our government. So many. And so many people that are involved in it. Um, so many of these things just take over and they dominate our lives and we have so many of them going on every day, so many moving parts that we need to find in a place of quietness or solace or where we can just kind of flow. And to do that, some of us have to forget about these things happening. 
and we just put them off somewhere where maybe at some point, maybe before I go to bed tonight, I'll think about this. But maybe not. A lot of Americans just let it go. Oh, well, that's just life in America. The authoritarians that want to take over this country, they love that. That's what they want us all to do is just go with the flow. Look at the former wealthiest country on the planet. Now, I'm not talking about the UK. I'm not talking about Russia. I'm not talking about China. Not even talking about the United States. Per capita at one time, the nation of Venezuela was per capita the number one country, wealthiest country on the planet. They had the world's greatest oil and natural gas supplies. I bet you didn't even know that. You think about it as a third world country, which it pretty much is right now. Why and how did they go from being per capita the wealthiest country on the planet to where they are now, where they can't even get toilet paper if they want it? Food, forget about it. They have 275% inflation there. How did that all happen? A guy named Daniel Ortega, the consummate, the absolute best authoritarian in world history, went in there and for his own selfish purposes and for the selfish purposes of a lot of his friends and his political supporters, he made everything in Venezuela He took every piece of property. He nationalized every oil company that was sitting there. And we had, the United States had dozens of oil companies that had invested tens of billions of dollars in infrastructure in Venezuela. And Ortega's predecessor was glad to see the Americans come in there because they spent all the money to get all of that oil and gas out of the ground and flowing making Venezuela the wealthiest country on earth. When he took over all that, these American companies were kicked out. And all of that infrastructure, all those billions of dollars they invested there, it was like, ho-ha, we don't care. It just started there, and then it went downstream. Capitalism was gone. Private ownership was gone. The federal government owned everything, operated everything, and it all went in the tank. Now, you can call it a socialist country, but it's really not. It's an authoritarian ruled country, socialist if you want to call it that, but it's a country that is totally busted. Nothing is working there. The people aren't even getting food to eat. They can't get it. They're begging for food to eat. That could never happen to the United States. It's happening now just like it happened there. Dan, are you saying, are you saying Joe Biden's an authoritarian? No, he's not. And Daniel Ortega didn't do what he did by himself either. It takes a village. Hillary wrote the book. She was talking about kids but it takes a lot of people that are connected to make these big decisions happen and get implemented. And what you're watching, folks, is this process playing out. 
Thankfully, there are a bunch of people in America, some political heavyweights that have watched it, that have identified it, and are fighting it tooth and nail. One of those is Donald Trump, but he's not flying solo. But he's up against, and the others are too, and you and I are, a tremendous foe because the Democrat Party has the media almost in total on their side. They're controlling almost in total the messaging to the American people from the government, and they're telling us everything's okay. We've got it all taken care of. Hey, you know, we, we just spent and, another 960 or $70 billion, and it's all for government giveaways for our buddies. Did you know that? Have you looked, have you taken just a few minutes to Google and do a search and just do this today? What are all of the boondoggle items in Biden's infrastructure-busting bill? Do that search and see how much of the money taxpayers are going to pay to make this thing happen and to whom all that money's going. Here's what I'll tell you. Sum it up in a nutshell. You're going to pay more taxes. Well, Dan, they told us. $400,000 and less wage earners a year, we're not going to be taxed. I don't care if you only make $20,000 a year. You're going to pay more. I promise you, read the bill. Do you think inflation has been bad because of all the money the Biden administration spent last year? You think it's bad? Wait till this rolls out. We are close to the edge of not inflation. We're close to the edge of depression. There are a fleet of national, well-known, well-educated, well-accepted professional economists that are saying that. And in the shadow of those sayings, our government decided to spend almost a trillion more. And we don't have that trillion, but it's no big deal. The other trillions they spent, we didn't have either. Ha, ha, ha. And then they concentrate on you and me and what we're doing and what we're saying and how evil we are. Seriously. Do you think they're trying with all their power, all their authority to do something to stop the crime, to stop the illegal immigration, to stop any of this violence in our city streets? No, they're not interested in any of that. They're interested at identifying groups and individuals who will hurt their causes as they go forward and to somehow shut those people up. It's happening every day. Americans that are angry about the FBI raid on Trump's Florida state and the insecurity at the southern border, they say, and they think, people that feel that way pose an increased risk of domestic terrorism. How do I know that? The Biden administration warned that in a series of bulletins that were sent to federal 
and local law enforcement agencies over this weekend. The warnings from the Justice Department, also from the Homeland Security Department, the FBI, Customs and Border Protection, used nearly identical language and were issued after one man tried to attack an FBI office in Cincinnati and a driver crashed into a barrier with his car on fire at the U.S. Capitol before he committed suicide. Two stupid, messed up, mentally people out of 330 million people Those two actions triggered our FBI, Border Patrol, Homeland Security, and the Department of Justice to find a way to begin an attack, another one against you and I. Here's what the bulletin said. Last night, the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice issued a joint intelligence bulletin accessible via the Homeland Security Information Network that provided information on the potential for domestic violent extremists to carry out attacks on federal, state, and local law enforcement and government personnel or on government facilities. That's Custom and Border Patrol's Commissioner Chris Magnus wrote in a memo to 60,000 of his employees. The warnings were being shared in light of an increase in threats and acts of violence including armed encounters against law enforcement, judiciary, and government personnel in reaction to the FBI's recent execution of a court-authorized search warrant in Palm Beach, Florida. Since the search, the FBI and the DHS have observed an increase in violent threats posted on social media against federal officials and facilities. Two acts of violence. Two. But yet they tell us in this memo that it's a bunch of people. It's a huge number. And for that, we need to be aware. One senior law enforcement official said some federal police agencies were asked last week to monitor social media accounts of known political influencers for signs of agitation. And FBI officials reached out to some social media platforms frequented by conservatives in the aftermath of Cincinnati attack in which the perpetrator was shot and killed. Most of the warnings cited the August 8 FBI raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago compound as a motivation for violence. Some, like Border Patrol head Magnus's memo, also mentioned concerns about illegal immigration suggesting that those concerns weren't warranted even though scores of members of Congress have expressed concern about border security under President Biden. As described in a June 7th National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin, some domestic violent extremists have expressed grievances related to the false perception that the U.S. government is not working to maintain security along the U.S. Border Patrol and there remains increased risk of domestic violent extremists relying on these grievances to justify violence against law enforcement officials involved in the enforcement of border security. You haven't seen any of this crap. We've not heard about any of this crap. I don't live 
in a hole. I have my ears plugged into a bunch of different areas, and I hear stuff all the time, top to bottom, federal government, state government, you name it. I get tons of texts and emails that are asking me questions, that are giving me information. And I got to be honest with you, this mess, this warnings against domestic terrorist activities, I haven't heard one thing from anybody that is reputable, credible, that can be confirmed is real. So why are they doing this? There can only be one reason. To ramp it up and justify more egregious activities against conservatives in America, kind of like we saw last Monday at Mar-a-Lago. Now, what I just said, I looked moments ago at the IP addresses of people that are watching or listening to this show live right now. There are Washington, D.C., and Virginia-based IP addresses that are monitoring this show. I probably, if I wasn't already, I just got on somebody's uh, list of potential domestic violent extremist alarmist. And I'm not kidding, folks. But you know what? Facts live in a vacuum. Facts are what they are. No credible person, no informed American can look at what is happening in our nation today by the people who are allowing it and initiating it and making it happen and credibly come to the conclusion that everything's okay. Seriously. That just can't be done. And so what do we do about it? What can we do? Listen. If you like it like it is, don't do anything. If you think the nation's going in the right direction, don't even worry about it. Don't give it a second's thought. But if you want change, if you think change is necessary and you feel like change is possible, you better step up and say something. A couple of weeks ago, Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS Secretary, you heard my thoughts on him this morning. He doesn't need to be impeached. He needs to be fired and then charged for multiple criminal actions that he did according to that law that we just discussed moments ago. You heard it factually. The law says specifically that somebody that suborns illegal actions is illegally doing things that they should be held accountable for. 8 U.S. Code 1324, bringing and harboring certain aliens. And I listed the criminal penalties. Every one of them includes jail time. He needs to go. President Biden needs to go. And the only ones that can do that are the people. If we don't make our voices heard, nothing's going to happen. A few weeks ago, you heard a former sheriff from down in South Louisiana, Clay Higgins. When Mayorkas was testifying before a House committee, and I was listening to this over the weekend, what Clay Higgins, who's now a member of the House of Representatives, had to say to Mayorkas. And I thought 
based upon what we're discussing this morning, what was said was pretty important, um, important enough for you to hear it again for yourself. Many of you didn't hear it a couple of weeks ago. Here's Clay Higgins confronting Alejandro Mayorkas. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I appreciate the Secretary's appearance here today. Mr. Secretary, what year were you born, sir? 1959. 1959. I was born in 61. We're from the same generation. Have you experienced failures in your life, sir, significant enough that you as a man over your six decades of life, you have a compass can help you measure failure. You know what it is as a man. I certainly do. No shame there. I'm asking you. It's an honest question. Congressman, um, I'm 62 years old. Um, anyone who's lived for 62 years has confronted has experienced all different, failure. different types of challenges, successes, and failures. Yes, sir. And there's no shame in that. That's part of our journey in life. We get knocked down and we do our best to stand back up. So I'm going to try and help put this in perspective for you, sir. I've had harsh words for you over the last couple of years. You know that. Oh, I've heard them. Yes, Congressman. Yes, sir. I hope you feel my spirit right now. I'm also a compassionate man. And I, I feel that America needs you to, uh, needs you to own this thing. Good, sir. Do you recognize the following statement? You wrote it, or someone for you wrote it. Under the Biden-Harris administration, the Department of Homeland Security has been executing a comprehensive and deliberate strategy to secure our borders and build a safe, orderly, and humane immigration system. Since January 2021, DHS has effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States. Effectively managed. You used that verbiage earlier today. Again, I suppose that's the, that's the tested and determined talking point. So I ask you, good sir, tell America, you're a gentleman, 62 years of age, a gentleman of distinguished accomplishment, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Like all of us, you've experienced failure in the course of your life. You should have a compass to help you recognize it. This disaster we have at our border, the disintegration of our national sovereignty, cannot be sustained. Anyone that has two brain cells that could perhaps bump into each other would know that it's abject failure down there. So if you would identify our border as effectively managed right now, would it, how would you identify failure? What would it be? Five million crossings in a year? You had two and a half million last year. A million gotaways? You had 500,000 last year. Crime rate tripled instead of doubled. Number one cause of death from 18 to 45-year-old Americans right now is overdose. Under your watch, what would it be from five years old to 50? How would you identify failure if it's not what you've delivered thus far? By God, man, 
on the moment. You've been called upon to resign by myself and others. Next year, if we have the majority in this committee, which we shall, you're still in office, you'll face impeachment. I ask you as a man, own this thing. Out of respect for you and the office, I ask you to reflect upon that. And I'll give you my remaining 45 seconds to respond. Please feel my spirit and speak truthfully. Step away from your talking points and speak to the American people and own this thing. We're losing our country down there. We need you to resign. Save the country the pain of your impeachment. I have 20 seconds, sir. Please respond. Congressman, I couldn't disagree with you more when you state that, when you state that our nation's sovereignty is disintegrating. <clears throat> well, I guess Gentlemen, that answers that. I yield, Mr. Chairman. Gentlemen, you heard it for yourself. The guy, the guy, Alejandro Mayorkas is Joe Biden's appointee to handle all of the immigration issues at our southern border, the one that is single-handedly making the decisions that have allowed at least 2 million illegals to cross our border and not just allowed to come here. We're paying for them their entire livelihoods once they get here. Now, let me ask you this. In the United States of America, who could make that happen legally? There's only one entity that could, the United States Congress. Did the United States Congress pass legislation that was signed into law by a president that said the director of Homeland Security, the secretary, could allow two million people to come in illegally? No. That would have been the way to do it legally. And of course, you and I both know it wouldn't have passed. So what does this administration do? They suborn the illegal acts of one man and it's changed the face of the nation in one year. Am I Am I a xenophobe? Somebody that doesn't like people from other countries? Absolutely not. Here's where I am, and it was written in the story today. The United States of America welcomes people to come here from other countries. It's emblazoned on everything, every part of our government literature that's out, even on the feet of the Statue of Liberty. It's emblazoned there. We welcome you. But we welcome you, whoever the yous are, to come here and go through the legal process of immigration that's laid out, it was created, implemented, designed, it's been edited from time to time, But the process is the law. If you come here, respect the rule of law. Live within the rule of law. If you don't like the United States rule of law, don't come here. If you're already here and you don't like the rule of law, leave here. If you live here, you must abide by the rule of law, period. That's the way it's always been. That's the way the law says it should have always been. And guess what? 
the laws in the nation that say that still are there, yet Alejandro Mayorkas yesterday, today, he let people come across the border. There were 600 crossers at one spot this weekend illegally, welcomed in by DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and also allowed to come in at the behest of President Joe Biden. That is wrong. There's something wrong with that. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. It's on top of mind for everybody, and it seems like every 10 seconds the story comes out a little bit different from the way we heard it 10 minutes ago. Uh, Everybody's weighing in on this. So-called experts are saying everything. Left saying this, the right saying this. What does the law say? Let me just put it succinctly. I know I'm going to wait until we get into that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump around and keep you wondering what we're talking about. For a second, let's talk about our president. With all of this hoo-ha that was going on last week, the Department of Justice, the FBI, what they did in Mar-a-Lago, the way they did it, absolutely wrong. It parrots what they've done throughout anything to do with Donald Trump. Four years as president, remember how they went and got those people they were investigating in the Russia collusion story. I mean, full-fledged assault weapons, everything, to go get Roger Stone early in the morning. And CNN got a tip, and they were there and covered it all. They had him in handcuffs. It was just incredible, and it happened to Lieutenant General Mike Flynn. If, if, if Donald Trump had been in Mar-a-Lago, they would have probably handcuffed him and made him go outside. All that being said, that is the thing that is scaring the American people into understanding. The people in charge today, they're thumbing their noses at the rule of law. And Joe Biden, in the middle of all that, jumps on a plane and his family, along with Hunter Biden, who hops Air Force One all the time, it seems, and they head to South Carolina 
for a vacation, which Joe takes every weekend. He leaves Washington, D.C. Thursday afternoon, goes to one of his homes on the beach in Delaware or one of his other four homes, and he doesn't come back until Monday, Monday afternoon usually. It's like there's nothing going on that this president should be concerned with. And then when he appears before cameras and he speaks and tells anything, he gets mad. He gets angry at people. If you dare disagree with him or say something that he thinks is wrong, he'll get in your face. And it seems like it's getting worse. Our friends down under in Australia, Sky News, they've been watching this. And over the weekend, they weighed in on President Biden's anger issues. You've heard of angry birds, those irate, wingless creatures hell-bent on destruction. But those avian agitators have nothing on angry Biden, whether he's campaigning to be president or in the White House. There's something a little unhinged about the big guy. I'm sick and tired of smart guys. I'm sick of this stuff. Fewer, not more, fewer. They build America, and unions build them. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said, and tell me. You made it sound like a vaccine was the ticket to losing the mask forever. And it- that is true at the time, because I love the people who were going to understand it. I'm not confident. What the hell? What do you do over So what did I say I was confident? I said He's just so angry all the time. Why? And see how you spoke to a woman there? You'd never know it from the compliant media, but angry Biden does not like being challenged by women. I went on the floor and got you votes. I got votes for that bill. I convinced people to vote for it. So let's get those things straight too. Saying things you do not know what you're talking about. No one said that. Who said that? Who said that? Answer the question. Who went up and got it fixed? So you're not. And even the people in his administration have testified to my character, testified to my honesty. Oh, acting like we just discovered this yesterday. Thank Thank you, Mr. Vice President. I don't like the finger in the face either, gentlemen. My God. And thanks to Mays Moore for this angry Biden compilation. And there's plenty more where that came from, including old Joe becoming irrationally irate and confrontational over nothing. It's almost as if there's something not quite right with the president. Imagine, look at your child. You lost your child. It's gone. Come on, give me a break, man. What a stupid son of a he was who he is. That's why it is what it is. Why it's why attack Sanders? Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. Focus on this man, what he's doing that no president has ever done. This is the guy that's unhinged. He is unhinged. He who is unhinged, of course, is not Joe Biden. It was Donald Trump. Everything Joe Biden says negative today, for whatever reason or reasons, he targets Donald Trump. Joe Biden thinks he's got an easy pathway to roll right into presidential term number two in 2024. And he thinks the only obstacle 
is Donald Trump. You would think that Joe Biden would be a little more concerned about governing America than running for office again. Wow. Have you kept up with what's going on in the world of oil? You remember Joe Biden was taking oil out of our strategic oil reserves and selling those barrels of oil to other countries. I still don't understand why he was selling some of it, by the way, to China, of all places, one of our political foes. But listen to what happened over in Saudi Arabia. Aramco, which is the largely state-owned Saudi oil company, reported a 90% surge in second quarter profits yesterday. Aramco reported $48.4 billion net income for the three-month period ending in June. Thought to be one of the largest quarterly profits in world history. $48.4 billion in three months. Profits! <laughs> the quarterly earnings were up nearly double from its 25.5 net income during the same period last year and way above analyst expectations of $45 billion. It also reported half-year net income of $87.9 billion, widely surpassing other major oil companies including ExxonMobil, Chevron, and British Petroleum. The Saudi Arabian government, by the way, holds a 95% stake in Aramco, and it's going to take the majority of an $18.8 billion dividend set to be distributed before the end of October. Now, where did all this, I mean, what's the big deal? Why did they make so much more money? Well, the company, they referenced strong market conditions as a driving factor behind their earnings boom as oil prices rose as high as $130 a barrel earlier this year. Our record second quarter results reflect increasing demand for our products, particularly as a low-cost producer with one of the lowest upstream carbon intensities in the industry. That comes from Aramco president and CEO Amin Nasser. Gas prices, however, begun to recede to some, with the national average in the U.S. falling to $3.99 per gallon last week, falling below $4 for the first time since March. It went as high as 5 bucks on June 14th. Nasser added Aramco expects post-pandemic recovery in oil demand to continue for the remainder of the decade, despite downward economic pressures on short-term global forecast. While global market volatility and economic uncertainty it remains, events during the first half of the year support the view that ongoing investment in the oil industry is essential both to help ensure markets remain well-supplied and to facilitate an orderly energy transition. That's from Nasser. Now, what's he talking about? Well, let me tell you what you just heard and the reason that I brought you this story this morning. The United States used to be a country that reported similar successes in our energy production industry. All that money went to 
people that had investment accounts, many in profit-sharing accounts with the companies where they worked, many in 401ks, IRAs, simple IRAs, investment money. And it went to stockholders that bought stock in these companies. Who are all these stockholders? Joe Biden and his gang, they want you to believe it's those filthy, wealthy, multi-millionaires, those evil people. That's not true. It's those investment companies that take those dollars and invest them for all these American people, these stockholders. But we're watching as we have a united front of the Democrat Party, mainstream media, and the political left all in lockstep to destroy our oil industry, oil and gas industry, for the purpose of green energy. And they're telling us we are going to transition to that by 2030. It's a pipe dream. It is impossible to do. And in the plan that they have, which is very, very weak and has very little stuff in it that we even know they want to do the steps that are necessary to move the entire nation away from fossil fuel to green energy almost overnight. It's impossible. It can't be done. And we're losing our country economically because of that. Saudi Arabia, other countries in the Middle East, even Russia, they're laughing at us. They're laughing at us. And I got to be honest with you, the stuff this government is doing, the stuff Joe Biden is doing, it's worthy of being laughable. It, it, it is laughable. I just wanted to drop that little note on top of you. Every place we have moved away from fossil fuel in the fuel industry worldwide, Saudi Arabia has stepped right in and taken our position. And you heard the profit situation in just one quarter. That's when Joe Biden got aggressive and we saw the real hard truths of going away from fossil fuel in our trek towards solar energy, wind energy, and the Green New Deal. Mar-a-Lago, it was a big deal. It still is. Got details of it. We're going to dig into that right after this. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup. Like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone. Or the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan. And the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53. 
I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the All Natural Burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. And in the shadow of that declaration by Pete Moss there, taking the chance to speak the truth no matter the cost you know i told you a little bit ago we had some um we had some ip addresses from some locations up around the dc area i kid you not langley virginia (laughs) langley virginia what's langley virginia it's the home of the cia somebody in in langley virginia was listening to the show a little while ago oh well not saying anything wrong not doing anything wrong just reporting the facts, reporting the truth. Well, let's get into Mar-a-Lago. What's the latest? I'll tell you what. Mick Mulvaney, he was very active in several different positions during the Trump camp, uh, ad- administration. He was on Fox News, and he weighed in with some facts that I just thought I'd let him tell you. Here he is. All right, joining me now, former President Donald Trump's chief of staff, the great Mick Mulvaney. Mick, thanks for joining me. Listen, you, you, I always mention this. You've been in Congress. Uh, you uh, have had a lot of positions in the federal government, including chief of staff to the president. I first want to ask you, it, it seems odd that Merrick Garland didn't tell the White House that he was going to give a press statement today. What does that mean to you as a former chief of staff? Um, yeah, Sean, it means a, a, it could mean a couple of different things. First of all, it could mean that they're just incompetent. Again, one of the great rules in Washington is don't ever assume a conspiracy where sheer incompetence will explain things. And they could just be running a very poor operation. But they could have done it on purpose to try and insulate Biden from the potential political blowback. Keep in mind, there's a lot of Democrats who are not happy about this, that if they went in here to just get documents and they don't have a smoking gun, this could really bounce back and, and hurt the Democrats um, in the November midterm. I mean, there was a, a CNN legal analyst who went on TV and said that this was a dangerous search if it's just for documents. So if the DOJ knows or at least suspects that they may have sort of made a political mistake, they might try to be distancing themselves from the White House or at least allowing the White House to claim that distance. Um, it, it, either way, it's, it's, it's not a well-functioning Department of Justice. It's the first thing I picked up on today when we saw that press conference. You know, you're, you're a Republican congressman. You served with a Republican president. I was a Republican congressman back in the day. I talk to people and they are outraged in the inequity of treatment by uh, the FBI and the DOJ. And as uh, Edward Lawrence just mentioned, I mean, again, the the classic example is Hillary Clinton. Not only did she have a private server with classified information on that server and her home wasn't raided, she bleach bitted her devices to make sure that they couldn't actually search them. So she thwarted the investigation and nothing was done like this to Hillary Clinton. But Donald Trump, again, gets unfair treatment and the power treatment from justice. What do you, what do you say? What do you say? Well, 
think about it. I mean, the New York Times ran some very salacious photographs uh, earlier this week of pieces of paper in a toilet saying that Donald Trump had thrown these in there. They look like handwritten notes of members of Congress names, but the whole of Washington, D.C. and the whole sort of left-wing corporate media is, is apoplectic about this. Hillary Clinton did the digital equivalent of sitting in the basement and setting these documents on fire. Can you imagine how the New York Times would respond if they had pictures of Donald Trump setting boxes of, do of documents on fire? The double standard here, Sean, I, I know we complain about it. And I know, you know, if there was no double standard in the media, that there'd be no standards at all for, for most of those folks. But it's real, and it undermines the credibility that institutions like the Department of Justice and the FBI had. Look, I think that you know Merrick Garland tried today to sort of counter that by saying he's going to unseal the or try, seek to unseal the warrants, the receipt. That's great. What he didn't say was, and we're going to show you the affidavits that we used to get the search warrant in the first place. It's those affidavits, by the way, that they lied about to get the FISA permission to spy on Trump in 2016. So it's sort of uh, one step out of ten that was necessary today by Merrick Garland. I I think they know they have a problem, but they're not doing very much to fix it. Well, they have a problem if there's if there's an appearance of impropriety. I mean, so the, yeah. uh, half the country thinks that this is unfair. They have a problem, and they should come out and go, listen, there's real meat on this bone. Um, this is different than the examples that conservatives give in, on the unfair treatment, and this is why. But President Trump posted on uh, True Social saying, quote, my attorneys and representatives were cooperating fully, and very good relationships had been established. The government could have had whatever they wanted if, they, if we had it. They asked us to put an additional lock on a certain area, done. Everything was fine, better than that of most previous presidents. And then, out of nowhere and with no warning, Mar-a-Lago was raided at 6.30 in the morning by a very large number of agents and even safe crackers. They got way ahead of themselves, crazy. Do you think Donald Trump, Mick, you know, with, with these statements, is able to you know, push the narrative that he, again, is treated unfairly? Does that work for him? Or does the liberal media kind of swarm the airwaves and, and make Donald Trump look like a criminal? Listen, you know I've been I've been critical of the president at times. I've been supportive of the president at times. My job as chief of staff was to call things like I see them, and I've tried to do that since I've left the administration. Left the administration. I think Trump has got every complaint in the world here, and it's and it appears to be valid. You've done search warrants before, back when you were a federal prosecutor. What do you have to show? Probable cause that the evidence is not only there and and tied to a crime, but that it could be gone soon. It could be imminently destroyed or moved. That's why that affidavit is so so important. What did the federal government see or hear or tell this court that said, we have to have this stuff today? Because Trump was right. At least everything we've seen publicly shows Trump to be right, that they were cooperating. And if they had asked him, look, we think there's another 10 boxes in addition to the 15 that we took, why would he give them to him? If he was going to destroy documents, why didn't he do it six months ago or a year ago? This stinks. It just does. And I don't want it to because I'm a conservative and I want to believe in institutions. I want to believe in the fairness of law enforcement. But the DOJ is dropping the ball here and they need to fix it quickly. Well, and let's talk about the FBI dropping the ball. I want to play this clip from Merrick Garland when he was talking about defending the Department of Justice. Take a listen. Let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated, patriotic public servants. Mick, good for him for defending the FBI and the DOJ. I disagree with what they're doing, but as the head of the DOJ, which is also the head of the FBI, good for him defending those who work in those institutions. But where in the hell was he to defend the Supreme Court when they've been getting attacked, uh, death threats, 
threats of harm, protesters outside their homes violating the law. The man's been silent. So again, he'll defend his own agencies. But you have a third branch of government that's being attacked by the public. And the guy says nothing and doesn't enforce the law in regard to those protesters. Yeah, uh, left-wing protesters lobbed two mortars, mortars, yeah. into a federal office building in Portland, Oregon over the 4th of July. Did you hear Merrick Garland go on TV talking about defending the integrity of the system? No, he didn't. There was one word he used there. Sean, you're right. He says exactly what he has to say. If you were in the position, you'd say the same thing about the people working for you. There was one word there that was wrong, however. He said unfounded. Allegations. Right. That's not true. There's a foundation for these things. There's a history for these things. There's a track record on FISA. There's a track record on Hunter Biden's laptop. There's a track record in the recent past of the Department of Justice treating Republicans differently than Democrats. I don't think he likes it any more than I do, but he has to do something about it. And just coming out and saying, we're gonna, we're gonna seek to make the search warrant public, doesn't do it. He has to be so far beyond reproach in this particular circumstance. He's not coming after you and me. He's coming after the former president of the United States. This is the highest bar he could possibly meet, and they are not meeting it right now. But Mick, he'll go after anybody. I mean, this is the same guy who said, I'm gonna go after parents who are who are going to school boards and protesting CRT and and uh, transgender you know education in their school system? He called them domestic terrorists. So the guy has no clean hands as he has a conversation about trust us. You know we're going to follow the law and we're beyond reproach. Give me a break. You're a political hack. Uh, Grassley's got a whistleblower. It says giving him evidence that the uh, the misinformation campaign out of the FBI uh, was orchestrated at the very highest levels. Jim Jordan has whistleblowers telling him that they're seeing that the FBI is cooking the books, and in their term, padding the data on uh, domestic terrorism in order to make conservative uh, activists look bad. There's a bunch of rotten things at the FBI. I think Garland knows it, I really do. I hope that he does. His reputation would suggest that he does, but he's gotta do something about it. And just coming out and saying, I, I approve this and I'm gonna show you the search warrants, doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. You give him more credit than I give him, Mick. But by the way, I'm gonna a guy who can get out of the pool an hour ago and be ready for TV with me, very grateful. You look good after swimming in the pool. I put a tie on for you, Sean. You know that doesn't happen every single time. It doesn't, but no jacket still. But I appreciate you joining me, Mick. Always smart. Thank you. Sometimes it's really good to get an expert to weigh in on things that we talk about here. You just heard an expert relate an opinion, I know, but still filled with facts about where we are. Trump's office on Friday said that the big hoo-ha over the weekend was whether the documents were classified or unclassified. Classified means nobody could touch them. There's only a very elite group of people that are qualified to have in their possession classified federal documents. Well, Trump's office on Friday said that the classified materials that the FBI seized from Mar-a-Lago were declassified under a standing order which, while he was president, it allowed him to take sensitive materials to the White House residents at night to keep working. The official statement is likely to become the focus for the president's legal defense as the FBI and the Biden Justice Department investigate whether he stole records covered under the Presidential Records Act or mishandled classified materials under the Espionage Act. Allegations included in that search warrant released by a federal court in Florida on Friday. So Trump's defense is rooted in the legal principle that the president and vice president 
are the ultimate declassifying authority of the U.S. government and through executive orders most recently issued in 2003 by George W. Bush and Barack Obama in 09 that specifically exempt the president and the vice president from having to follow the stringent declassification procedures every other federal agency and official must follow. Trump has maintained for weeks that any documents still containing classified markings in his possession were previously declassified. On Friday night, the statement issued explained exactly how that declassification occurred in his mind. The very fact that these documents were present in Mar-a-Lago means they couldn't have been classified. That was in what President's office sent. As we can all relate to everyone ends up having to bring home their work from time to time, American presidents are no different. President Trump, in order to prepare for work the next day, often took documents, including classified documents from the Oval Office to the residence. He had a standing order that documents removed from the Oval Office and taken into the residence were deemed to be declassified. The power to classify and declassify documents rests solely with the President of the United States. The idea that some paper-pushing bureaucrat with classification authority delegated by the President, by the way, needs to approve the declassification by the President, it's absurd. Two former senior aides who worked for Trump in the latter half of his term said they were aware that Trump routinely took documents to the residence rather than return them to the staff secretary or the intelligence official who provided them. Asked whether there was a standing order, one former official, I don't know anyone or anything that disputes that. Ordinarily, documents declassified by a president or later retrieved and marked declassified usually by crossing a line through the prior classification markings. But former top aides to prior presidents acknowledge the president's power to declassify was absolute and at times resulted in instant declassification decisions. Obama's executive order, number 13526, issued in 2009, laid out the stringent process all federal officials and agencies needed to follow for declassification, but explicitly exempted the sitting president and vice president from having to follow those procedures. Of course, that comes along the line of, do you believe in executive orders? If you do, that would mean Trump did nothing wrong. Let me just say this. There is nothing in the United States Constitution that says anything about classified and declassified documents regarding any of this. Let me just cut to the chase on all this. I think you'll probably like this. This is going to (laughs) shorten. It's going to shorten your concerns about what happened at Mar-a-Lago. This is all going to be litigated. You can bet your bippy it's going to be litigated. And guess where it's going to end up? At the United States Supreme Court. The Democrats are going to push this. They're going to push this. They're going to push this. They're going to try to make this an issue in the midterm elections. And of course, to make it an issue moving forward, there will be issues in the legal sector taken 
against Donald Trump for this by this Department of Justice. They don't have anything for the 2024 presidential election for anybody they run, whether it's Biden, Kamala Harris, or whoever. They don't have any meat on the bones to back up and expect use to expect any American to vote for their their candidate against Donald Trump, assuming he runs. And so how and what do they do? You and I both know that. We've seen it happen again and again. Make something up. Find something, some little little bitty insignificant thing that you can blow up and make it applicable so you'll have something with which to run against Trump should he run. So something that very few people thought about, this crossed my mind, I guess middle of the week last week. Who was orchestrating what happened at Mar-a-Lago? It certainly wasn't Joe Biden. I doubt if it was Merrick Garland. Both of those men are feckless. I don't think they would think about anything like that, even yet alone be able to put a deal together to make it happen. So there's somebody behind the scenes again. And somebody that I think probably had to be involved is Susan Rice. Susan Rice and maybe some other of the FBI's deep staters might have been included in that process. Carl Palladino, who's a Republican upstate New York businessman who is running for Congress in New York's 23rd Congressional District, he weighed in and said it had to be Susan Wright over the weekend. He contended it would have to be someone other than President Biden who isn't there, but rather is vacationing all the time. Rhinos don't want change in Washington. Palladino said he described the current Republican caucus in the House as a disaster, pointing to the Trump era as an example of how to get things done. People admired him, Trump, for that tenacity, going after the system every day, Palladino said, particularly fighting the Washington swamp. If he had another term, He would be able to do wonderful things for this country, he said, explaining that he too hopes to bring that sort of leadership to Washington, D.C. However, there are currently so many distractions, he continued, pointing to the FBI's shocking raid of Mar-a-Lago. We got all these headaches. We got Mar-a-Lago. We got all these distractions, which are just planted there. It seems like it's all been pre-planned in some respect, he said, explaining that leadership's nowhere to be found. What is more, individuals such as Susan Rice, director of the United States Domestic Policy Council, are likely pulling the strings behind the scenes. They're out there really wanting an illegitimate government because Biden is just not around. I mean, is not only physically, but mentally. I don't think he's around. He's not engaged. He said, blasting the couple of unelected people who are running government. He even pointed to former President Obama, who was still very active in our government and works through people like Ron Klain and Susan Rice, all of whom come from the George Soros world. Now, I don't know if all of that, what I just told you about this candidate for the midterms for that 23rd Congressional District in New York. I don't know if all of that is accurate. 
But I got to be honest with you, when we find out what we finally need to zoom in on as being factual in all of these things, it's good to have opinions of people to use. Usually you'll find when somebody says something, there's at least a bit of truth in it. And when you don't know for a fact, what I always do is I circle that tidbit and I put it up here while I'm contemplating how to get to the fact of the matter, and I keep it up there as a possibility until I confirm or if I find out it's wrong. Don't ever just ditch something because somebody told you to. Find out for yourself. Amid some published reports that Trump is improperly holding classified papers, including nuclear documents, we're told now, MSN contributor Michael Beschloss and former CIA director Michael Hayden, they are saying through social media, listen to this, that Trump should be executed. You heard me right. Executed, as in put to death. The Washington Post reported that the FBI raiding Trump's Mar-a-Lago compound on Monday last week, they did so in order to retrieve nuclear documents they believe were improperly stored there. So apparently equating the former president with the American spies convicted and executed for sharing U.S. nuclear weapons secrets with Joseph Stalin's Russia, Beschloss tweeted this, Rosenbergs were convicted for giving U.S. nuclear secrets to Moscow and were executed in June of 1953. And then former CIA director Michael Hayden retweeted Beschloss's ominous post commenting, sounds about right. Can you believe this? This is how far in just one little stretch of a few days everybody starts drawing conclusions from quote-unquote credible, credible news agencies like the Washington Post. Washington Examiner reporter Jerry Dunleavy called out the former spy chief in his own tweet. NBD, just a former NSA and CIA director, who also was among the dozens of ex-Intel officials who signed the infamous October 2020 Hunter Biden laptop letter out here suggesting that Trump should be executed. The former president has denied keeping nuclear documents and suggested the FBI planted that Washington Post story about it. As he always has done, credibly and rightfully so, Trump dismissed allegations that he was holding such documents in a post on a social media app, Truth Social. Nuclear weapons issue is a hoax, just like Russia, Russia, Russia was a hoax. Two impeachments were a hoax. The Mueller investigation was a hoax, and much more he wrote. Same sleazy people involved. Referring to DOJ and FBI officials involved in the raid, as well in sustaining the debunked Russia collusion narrative. Why wouldn't the FBI allow the inspection of areas at Mar-a-Lago with our lawyers or other others present? Made them wait outside in the heat, wouldn't let them even get close. 
Yeah, that's something I wonder too. It's very unusual for that to happen, but it happened. It happened. And then you remember Sam Donaldson, long time, very credible reporter for ABC News from 1967 to 2009. Over the weekend, Sam was on CNN of all places with Jim Acosta of all people. On the show on Sunday, they call The Newsroom. And they were there to discuss the FBI's unprecedented raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. When I heard about it, the fact that the FBI had seized from his safe and other places these documents, which should be held someplace else, particularly the top secret ones, which must be held someplace else, it may be a violation of the Espionage Act of 1917, Donaldson said. That's a very serious crime. He continued, I thought of Al Capone. Now, Al Capone was a great big gangster in the 20s and 30s. He bootlegged millions of gallons of whiskey. That was illegal, but more than that, a lot of credible evidence that he had ordered the murder of many people. Ooh, yeah, that sounds like Trump to me. But they never brought him to justice on that. But wait a minute, he continued. The IRS discovered that Al Capone was cheating on his taxes, and so they brought him to justice on that. He went to prison. And that's where he died. Even if Attorney General Merrick Garland does not have the evidence to convict Trump of insurrection, says Donaldson, they can bring him down on another charge to keep this country safe. If the Attorney General cannot bring himself, because of lack of evidence or belief the country is not ready to bring a president on charges of insurrection or obstruction of justice, how about violation of laws which keep this country safe? like the Espionage Act. Donaldson is still talking. He's saying this. If there's credible evidence, I think more of the American public would say, well, yeah, he shouldn't have done that. Let's see what the jury of his peers provides for. I'd like to see it, Donaldson said. So what is the Espionage Act? It was passed just two months after America formally entered World War I, and the Espionage Act made it a crime for any person to convey information intended to interfere with the U.S. Armed Forces' prosecution of the war effort or to promote the success of the country's enemies. Anyone found guilty of such acts would be subject to a fine of $10,000 and a prison sentence of 20 years. The next year, the act was reinforced by what's called the Sedition Act, which imposed similarly harsh penalties on anybody found guilty of making false statements that interfered with the prosecution of the war, insulting or abusing the U.S. government, the flag, the constitution of the military, agitating against the production of necessary war materials or advocating, teaching, or defending any of these acts. Ironically, both pieces of legislation were aimed at, guess who, socialist, pacifist, and other anti-war activists during World War I and were used to punishing effect in the years immediately following the war, 
during a period characterized by the fear of communist influence and communist infiltration into American society that became known as the first Red Scare. A second would occur later during the 40s and 50s, associated largely with Senator Joe McCarthy. Donaldson, however, did call for an investigation into the raid. There should be an investigation, he said. The Justice Department, everybody connected, including the FBI, should explain what they did, why they did it, and why it was legal and necessary. Assuming, of course, the raid was totally legit, Donaldson then called anyone who doesn't believe the evidence lost and declared that they must be stopped. But assuming that is done, all of these explanations, if we haven't in the last five years or more heard from Trump and the people who believe in him regardless of the evidence, regardless of what anyone else says, regardless of whether their own eyes show them something else, we're not going to be able to convince them. We're not going to be able to conclude that, hey, look at the evidence, look at the proof here. They're not going to look at it. And so I think they're lost and I regret it because they're American citizens and in many respects really good neighbors. But in this respect, we're not going to allow them to control the country. They're not going to seize the United States. Donald Trump and his merry band really have lost. We're going to have another dip, he said. Maybe 2024 is the dipping point. But the majority of Americans quite clearly want to preserve the country, the democracy, the ideals, the opportunity for everyone, regardless of the color of their skin or way of religious faith, to rise. I think truly this glass may be half full at the moment, but it's filling up and it's not draining down. I wanted you to hear that from a guy that has been so credible through the years. Sam Donaldson was well thought of. I, I liked Sam when he was at ABC. But he, like many, they have obviously voluntarily swallowed the poison pill. And they say they're for preserving our freedoms and our liberties. But what they are espousing after they make those claims is pushing this nation towards authoritarian rule and not rule by somebody like Donald Trump. Nope, he's not qualified. He's not hardcore leftist. And it has to be a leftist that leads the, the, the charge on their part. It's a wrap on Monday. Once again, thank you for being here. We'll be back every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central. And we'll see you tomorrow at TNN Live. They paid paradise and put up a fucking lie. With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? It'd be a paradise and put up a fucking line. They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum. And they charged the people a dollar and a half to see them. No, no. You don't know what you got till it's gone. You be in paradise and put up a fucking lie. Hey, for my put away your DDT. I 
paradise to put up a fucking lie. And now they pay paradise to put up a fucking lie. One night. Taxi took my girl away. Now don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? They paid paradise, put up a fucking lie. And now, now don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? They paid paradise, put up a fucking lie. Why not they pay paradise? To put up a parking lot Hey, 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 pay paradise And put up a parking lot I wanna give it why you wanna give it Why you wanna give it all away Hey, 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 now you wanna give it I should wanna give it 